Summer and I had that hymn played at our wedding, uh, which was in a, a, a large space with a huge organ. And I told the organist, I was like, you've got five verses, and when you get to the fifth one, we, should, like, we shouldn't be able to hear ourselves sing. And it was awesome. That's one of my favorites. Well, uh, Summer and I, over, over the break, we were in Spokane for a few days, got to actually go sledding with the kids where I injured myself and discovered that I'm no longer in my 20s by a long shot. Um, uh, we, saw, we saw The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi? Is that, yeah, got the right one. I, for a second there, I <laughs> thought maybe I gave the wrong title. Um, and one of the previews that we saw uh, was for an, one of the thousands of new Marvel Avengers movies that's coming out called Infinity War, which I feel like every movie they come out with, there's got to be a more intense sounding title, and that's about as intense as you can get. And the entire trailer was made up, it felt like to me, was made up of just introductions of superheroes that were going to be in this movie, and there was a ton of them. And it was like, oh, they've got Iron Man and Captain America, but behind this door are the Guardians of the Galaxy, and over here is the Hulk. And it was just like, the whole trailer was just, here's all the superheroes we could possibly cram into a movie. And of course, you know they're superheroes because they're wearing spandex, and, they're, and their muscles have muscles. But I, it, it, I enjoy a good superhero movie, and I think it taps into something that we, we all uh, experience, which is the sense that we, we need someone to make something, uh, to make the world right, that, that something is not right in the world, and we need someone who is greater than ourselves to do something about it. Um, and, I mean, I, there are many reasons why I think superhero movies uh, are popular, but I think that's a big part of it, is it taps into this desire that we have as humans, and this, this thing that we see, we see that the world is not all as well in the world, and we need someone to do something about that. We've been walking, uh, we're, we're jumping back now into the series, walking through the New City Catechism, which for those of you that haven't been uh, with us for a while, we've, we, in this whole fall, we've been walking through this catechism, which is just an, it's just a teaching tool, uh, and usually in the form of questions and answers that's designed to kind of, to instruct us on the basics of the Christian faith, what, what's really at the heart of what we believe. And so there's a, um, been a, a new one that's, that a uh, church in New York put out that's kind of a, a compilation of some of the best questions and answers that the church has been asking and answering uh, for centuries, helping us understand what do we really believe? What, what's at the core of our faith? And through the fall, we, we spend a lot of time looking at who God is, what God has made, um, the law that God's given us, and our inability to keep the law. Our, our inherent brokenness, our, our sinfulness. Uh, and so we, we sort of left off at a bit, of a bit of a down point in the overarching story of the good news um, before we, we took a break and, and, and spent some time uh, in Advent preparing for, for Christmas. Anyways, so the question, or the, to summarize where I think we've been, the way that I would say it is that we have seen and explored both the beauty and the brokenness of the world. The beauty of the world is God's good creation, but also the deep brokenness of the world and the deep brokenness in each one of us. So now what? Uh, the next question that we come to, and I don't have this on the screen, I'm just going to read the question and answer here. 
Uh, is there any way to escape the, the punishment that, that is justly due us because of our own brokenness, because of our sinfulness? Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? No. No, that's not the answer. The answer is yes, there is. To satisfy, just making sure you're paying attention. To satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself, delivers us from sin, and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. So this moves us in the, in the catechism, this moves us into a section where we're going to be looking at who Jesus is. And over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus from a variety of perspectives. We'll consider his humanity, his divinity, his power, his humility. And I trust that as we do this, we're going to form a, a, a clearer larger picture of who Jesus is as our Savior. The passage that we're going to do that through this morning is from Isaiah, and we actually spent a good bit of Advent in Isaiah, so it feels really appropriate that we're still in Isaiah this morning. And Isaiah um, was written certainly uh, to a specific, in a specific context, right? Uh, we've heard some of this over Advent, that, that God's people are in exile, they're beginning to return from exile, and so there's passages of, of judgment, of kind of a, hey, this is why you're in exile. You forgot the Lord your God. You started worshiping other gods. You started serving yourselves. Then there's also passages of restoration and hope, right? Some of the more popular and famous passages from Isaiah. This is an interesting one. There are a few sections where Isaiah describes what's commonly called the suffering servant. And this is probably the most well-known of those passages that we're going to look at this morning. Isaiah, uh, as a prophet, sometimes it can be tricky to read the prophets because some of what he's saying applies very much to those, uh, those people who were in exile and coming back to Jerusalem. And, and some of it is, seems very far off. And I think a helpful way to think of it is, is a prophet's not necessarily looking on a, at a timeline the way that we would, where you've got, well, this event's next and this event's next and then this event. But looking sort of more like down a tunnel, right, through time, so some of what Isaiah says uh, is very applicable to those first hearers, and others of it looks beyond even where we're at to when God will one day make all things new and restore fully his people to himself. We experience some of that now in Christ. We get the foretaste of that kingdom, but it's, it's coming still in its fullness. So um, with that, I want to look at this passage about the suffering servant. It's a longer section, but I want to read it all. It's, it's beautiful, and the, the, the imagery is, is very descriptive. We're going to start at the end of chapter 52. It'll be on the screen. If you want to follow along in, the, in your Bibles, it's uh, 52, 13, and then we'll, we'll go all the way through chapter 53. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, 
nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace, shalom, wholeness was on him. By his wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his, no, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. God, what an image. What a description of your suffering servant who brings us life, brings us forgiveness. Lord, would we stand more in awe today of your love which suffered for us? And would you shape our lives more and more into your image? That our lives would reflect this kind of love in the world. Amen. Right, so this is a, a bit of a different description than the superheroes in the Avengers Infinity War. This is, this is not a character that I saw in that trailer. This is the suffering servant, right? The suffering one appointed by God to save God's people, to bring them back into a right relationship with him and a right relationship with each other. Restoring their fortunes, healing their illnesses, forgiving their sins. He is committed, this one, to doing the will of God above all else. And yet it seems like the will of God for him is to suffer. Which can seem like a twisted form of child abuse. And in fact, that the church has been sometimes accused of believing in this. Uh, that, that really, who we worship is a, a God the Father who, who abuses his son. But the point of the holiday that we just celebrated, Christmas, just to remind you, uh, 
is, is that God, in fact, took on flesh. That it's God himself who comes in the form of the suffering servant. That he willingly chooses this, to do this work and to suffer on our behalf. Um, verse 4 says, you know, yeah, let's see, verse 4 says, Yet we considered him punished by God. Uh, and the New Living Translation renders that verse, We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, implying that we're wrong in that assessment, <laughs> that, that we, were, we were mistaken in assuming that. But rather, he willingly takes on our sin, takes on our pain, takes on our own suffering. Jesus in John chapter 10 says this. He says, the reason the father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. God willingly becomes on our behalf the suffering servant. This whole passage just reflects the upside-downness of the kingdom of God, the upside-downness of the way that God works his saving work in the world. Uh, The bookends of this passage talk about the exaltation of the suffering servant, right? That he's a a conquering warrior. He's victorious. uh, And that, that he'll be lifted up and exalted. But then in the middle, there's all of this suffering and pain. A lot of ink has been spilled trying to explain uh, sort of the equation that happens here. Maybe you've heard of different theories of the atonement. Uh, Each of them, I think, offers a glimpse, a perspective on what is happening here. But I'm not going to spend time on the various theories of the atonement this morning because I think the main thing that we need to come away with is just sitting with this description of the suffering servant, the one who suffers on our behalf, and standing in awe of what God has done for us. There is a point at which we cannot turn this into an equal sum equation, right? Or figure out the formula of, you know, just what needed to happen in order for the sins to be taken away. Ultimately, ultimately, God desired to do this, to take our sins away, to bring us back into right relationship with him. And this is how he did it, through a suffering servant, through offering himself as this one who would suffer on our behalf. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine uh, about this, and, and he, he mentioned that that's the thing we do with the cross uh, is not try to figure out how it works, but simply stare at it. We just look at it. And after time, we start to, to stand in awe of it and to be more and more uh, Full, full of awe and wonder at the love that is demonstrated there. And I think oftentimes our minds start to work in figuring out how, you know, how does it work? What are the mechanics of the way that I'm made right with God? Uh, and there's a point at which we simply have to take it on faith that this gift that's been offered to us um, is just that, is a gift to be received. Anyways, um, yeah. So to try to resist making it into a formula and instead stand in awe of the love that God has shown you on the cross. There is a a corporate language that uh, takes place in in a few verses here talking about our sin, our transgressions, our iniquities. 
um, but also what the suffering servant accomplishes for us in that you and I are made righteous by his suffering. We, uh, we receive the benefits of having lived a righteous life before God. The flourishing that comes from following God's law. We get the benefit of that even though we know that we can't do that. That we are incapable of living up to the requirements of the law. He makes many righteous through taking and bearing our sin and our iniquities. There's this, this word that's repeated a few times in this passage that gets translated bear or takes up or holds up. Um, and it, it kind of has two different images with it. One is sort of like the atlas holding up the earth image where the suffering servant just bears the weight of the sin of the world. Um, but there's also a sense of bearing it away, like uh, Psalm 103 says, where our sin is removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That is what the suffering servant does for us. And our benefit at the end of all of this is full life, new life, that God is, God is building a new thing in us and does it through this servant, through the work of this servant. There is a passage in, in the book of Acts where Philip, one of the early evangelists, is He's on a road, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, someone who's part of the Ethiopian queen's court. Uh, and he's traveling along in his chariot, and Philip hears him, and he's reading a passage out loud, and he's reading this passage from Isaiah 53. And the spirit nudges Philip, hey, go, go talk to him about that. And so he goes up, and he says, what are you reading? And the Ethiopian says, I'm reading this. And he quotes part of Isaiah 53, and he's confused. And he says, who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? Who is this suffering servant that Isaiah is talking about? And uh, uh, the, the writer of Acts, Luke, tells us that Philip proceeds to tell him, starting with this passage, tell him all about Jesus and all about how Jesus is the one who fully embodies the suffering servant and who accomplishes for us the kind of salvation and forgiveness and new life that is described here. So as those who claim Christ as our Savior, as those who follow in his footsteps, the first invitation for us this morning is simply to stand in awe and to believe and to receive the gift of all that this suffering servant, of all that Christ has done for us. But our life, both individually and corporately as the church, is also shaped by Christ. And so what does it mean that that we're Christians, that we follow in the steps of Jesus when, when these are the steps of Jesus, this, this kind of suffering. Um, I, I think it, it, it speaks a little bit about the reality that not all of life that we experience will be victorious, or at least victorious in the way that we think about it. Um, we may experience great suffering in this life, and we can take courage when that happens because we trust that Jesus has walked before us and is walking with us in it. He knows it, and he knows us. It shapes how we relate to each other, I think, right? We, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We're with each other. We've just spent all this time talking about Emmanuel over Advent, God who is with us. That with is so crucial, and I think that shapes our relationships within the church. We're, 
we are truly with each other in joy and in sorrow. I think there are other ways that we live where, where our lives can actually, as, as Jesus builds his life in us, where our life begins to reflect um, a little bit of this suffering servant. We, there's only one suffering servant, and it's Jesus. Let me be clear about that. But, but our lives begin to, to take shape uh, and look more and more like this. Right? We are people who overcome evil, not with more evil, but with good. Right? We are people who, when we are, we are struck on one cheek, we, we turn the other cheek. We are people who give up our rights for the sake of others. We don't cling to our rights. We give them up freely. And we are a people who forgive. And this is, uh, I think, one of the more profound witnesses that we can provide to this world is when we practice forgiveness. I have a video that I want to show you in just a second that demonstrates this pretty profoundly. Uh, In April of this year, maybe you remember, uh, there were two ISIS suicide bombers that detonated bombs in two different churches in Egypt on Palm Sunday, churches that were packed with people. Nassim Fahim was working uh, security at his church, St. Mark's in Alexandria, and, uh, and he redirected uh, one of the bombers through the metal detector, which at, at that point he set off the bomb, outside of the church, kind of in a little courtyard area. It still caused massive damage, um, killed Nassim and 16 others, injured dozens more. But Nassim, because of his diligence and his work, protected the large majority of folks in the church from more damage. Um, Amir Adib, I think I'm saying his name right, he's a very prominent talk show host in Egypt, and he sent one of his correspondents to talk to the widow of Nassim in her home. And I want you to, uh, to listen. Actually, the, the, it's in Arabic, so unless you speak Arabic, you'll have to rely on the subtitles. Um, listen to, the, to her witness, but then also to the talk show host, who I don't believe is a Christian, to his response at the forgiveness that is shown here. لو أعداءكم 
الف ملاكش برباهم وعمل رجال These people have a different substance. Do you catch that? What we find in here in Isaiah is that that substance that allows someone in her position to extend that kind of forgiveness, that substance is not something that she's just drummed up on her own strength, but that is the life of Christ that has been nourished in her for years, right? Practicing forgiveness so that when something like this happens, that's the natural response. To, to, to mimic the life that we see uh, in Jesus. The suffering servant who lays down his life for the sake of the world. Maybe there are, there are many ways to respond to the, to the good news this morning. Uh, I, two that I want to highlight. Um, One is simply to believe and receive the good news that Jesus has offered his life for yours, that he loves you enough to do the things that Isaiah describes, to receive the suffering that we were due and to extend to us flourishing and new life, eternal life that starts now. The second invitation, uh, especially as we come to the end of this year and as we, we begin a new year, to think about what, what may need to be shaped in you as you embark on this new year. What, what does Jesus need to bear away from your life, right? We prayed earlier this morning. Maybe there's a habit or a pattern or something along those lines that you want Jesus to, to take away from you, to, to, to bear it, to bear it away from you. Maybe there's an illness or something you want healing from. How might our lives more reflect the nature of this suffering servant that we call Lord, who is exalted over everything? I want to read again this whole passage uh, just to, to allow us to reflect on the imagery and the image that's put before us of the love that God has shown us in this suffering servant. And then we'll come to the table. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. What they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was, like, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and he will be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, to this feast that points us back to your sacrifice on our behalf, back to the ways in which you fulfilled this passage from Isaiah, that we might know life and forgiveness and freedom. You took our pain and suffering on the cross. But this table also points us forward, Lord. It points us forward in hope. In the hope that you are, in fact, building in us a life that reflects yours. A life that ultimately is victorious, but in a way that we have a hard time imagining. In a way that our world doesn't understand. In a way that we often don't understand. So build your life in us that extending forgiveness would be the most natural thing to us as it was for you, for us, to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the love we see demonstrated here in your body and blood broken and shed for us on the cross.